0: Good morning, church family. How are we doing this morning? Hey, I'm going to be totally transparent. I'm not going to lie, I am tired this morning. It's been a long week, and I don't know if some of you are feeling that. There's a terrible cold going around. My wife is dying at home. I spent 12 hours at the lake yesterday with our youth students, which we had a blast. Uh, It was really fun. But So maybe you're here this morning and just wiped out, but so glad to be with you. And how about this summer series, Encountering Jesus? I really love this. This is what we, 26 West Church, are all about. And I know that many of you are new. Some of you may literally be visiting or tuning in online for the first time today. And so I just want to welcome you. I'm so glad that you're here with us. Uh, And many more of you, though, are new within the last even six to 12 months. And I just think this series is a great way to ground us in who we desire to be as a church. Uh, I actually had the privilege of being here when we first planted 10 years ago this past Easter. And I wasn't on staff then when we first planted, I had actually just started a job at Nike. Uh, And I was simply serving at the church here as a community group leader, uh, playing guitar sometimes on Sundays. Uh, And then that changed five years ago when I was invited to take a role um, on our staff team. And uh, over the past five years, I've helped pastor our community groups. I've overseen our worship music. uh, And now I'm getting to focus primarily on youth, which has really been a blast, uh, and as I was recalling this week and just sort of thinking about this teaching and this series and what we're doing, I was remembering, I actually called Tony to like, I like hey, I need to just verify this with you and check my memory. But I wanted to recount, like we had this vision, the elders created this vision and prayed and felt like God led them to this vision for our church really early on within the first year. And the vision was this. Helping people experience life in Jesus—that's that's who we are. That's who we desire to be as a church family. That's where your leaders want to take us. And I just think this summer series—it um, gives us a chance to revisit and look more closely at some of the key encounters with Jesus, God in the flesh. And each week we're getting a chance to look at these various individuals, their diverse backgrounds and their encounters with Jesus, and exploring how it impacted their lives. What did they learn? What did Jesus say or teach? How did they respond? And then how can it speak into our lives today? And so this morning, we're going to look at the encounter of Jesus and a Samaritan woman from John chapter 4, so you can grab your Bibles. We're going to turn in the Scriptures. And this is a long encounter. This is a dense passage. Uh, but I think it's super important and transformative. And I, I want to, like, remember that as we approach a passage like this, for some of you, this might be a really familiar story. And you think, like, I, I know this one really well. I know kind of the punchline, what happens. Um, In the the Christian tradition, it's super well-known. But for some of us, we may just be digging into this for the first time. And so I just want to, this morning, take this as it's brand new, totally fresh, look at it with new eyes, wherever you're coming from. And so here's my plan. We're going to break this into three chunks because it is a really long story. But I think there's a a lot here for us. So let's start out, and I'm just going to read through verses 1 through 9. John chapter four, verses one through nine. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, it will be on the screen. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, And so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Okay, so Jesus' ministry takes place over three years in two key areas: Galilee and Judea. I found a map for you. I don't know if I. When I was a kid, I was thinking about this this week. When I was a kid and they're like doing the teaching on Sunday and I'm like in church bored, I like would just turn and find the maps. I don't know if any of you ever did that. And like, oh, it's a picture. I can like look at it. So I'm like, I'm going to put it. But, but now at this age, I'm like maps just seem really geeky. But I want you to see this because I think it's important to the story. Galilee is where Jesus begins, right? We know Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. Nazareth is, is there. That's where Jesus' family uh, eventually settled down. It's where he, he grows up. And then Judea is where Jesus' ministry ends. That's where Jerusalem is. That's where he's crucified. And I'm telling you this because pretty much everything we see in the life of Jesus through the Gospels takes place in these two regions, and in between the two lies this region of Samaria. Now John writes here that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why does he tell us this? This is not like, we can't like just pass over it. It's not accidental. Why, why call it out and say he had to go there? Well, I think a little background will help. Jews and Samaritans were actually both part of the nation of Israel but there was division. A kingdom was divided. And this division led to complete separation and a nasty tension that resulted between the two people groups. And often there was even violence. And so the two groups had this sharp disagreement about the Old Testament and where God's temple should be. And you, you'll remember the temple for the Israelites was literally God's dwelling place on earth. It's where they went to encounter God. And so the location's pretty important. Now, about 100 years before Jesus, the Jews attacked a key city in Samaria, and they burned down their temple. They're essentially saying God is not with you. He is not in your temple and thus all access to God is removed from the Samaritans. So you can see in the text when we read a simple line like, for the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. It sounds very like cordial and casual. It just does not give us the full picture. Of, it doesn't describe the tension. And so it's easy to gloss over, but I think it's important for us to catch the pure hatred that these two people groups had for each other. And so as Jesus encounters this woman, this woman is essentially cut off from relationship with God because of racism. And then she's also a woman. It's not helpful in Greco-Roman first century world. In fact, this is a quote from a commentary I read. Men rarely speak to women in public, even if they're married. Single men never speak to women at any time. And then finally, there's like this one more little hint, this clue that we have to catch to to create the tension here. Um, Something's clearly wrong about the timing. Um, Another quote from a commentary water drawing took place either in the early morning or at dusk in order to avoid the heat, but this woman goes alone in the hottest part of the day. This woman is in complete isolation culturally, socially, and spiritually. And yet here comes Jesus crossing all of these barriers to reach her. If you're taking notes this morning, one note worth taking, worth writing down, is that Jesus demonstrates God's desire to cross any barrier to save us. In this historical setting, the Samaritan woman is the least likely person for Jesus to pursue. But I think it gives us a very powerful statement through his actions. Jesus is showing us that God's desire is to pursue and win back all of humanity. In 1952, Mother Teresa Opened the Calagot Home for the Dying in Kolkata, India. It's considered a free hospice for the poor, but it's so much more than that. It was not uncommon. Uh, it wasn't an uncommon practice in India for those with terminal illness or those who were simply on their deathbed to be completely just tossed into the streets. And so Mother Teresa's heart was to give them an opportunity to die with dignity in an interview in 1992 she explained we asked the person do you want a blessing by which your sins will be forgiven and you receive God and they have never refused so this is in 1992 she started in 1952 so 29,000 people have died in that one house in Caligat from the time we began and have been baptized into the name of Jesus Now, I personally had a chance to go to this place in 2007 to sit and talk with people that likely would be gone within months. And obviously, out of dignity, we did not take any pictures inside. Um, It was sobering, but it gives you a taste of the lengths for which God goes to rescue us. And literally this morning... I woke up and I was thinking about you and this teaching and and what does Jesus do with this Samaritan woman? And I, I don't know why, just like this popped in my head that I went there. And so I pulled up a few pictures, I'll put up. Um they're just from the outside, just three of them. This is the outside front entrance. You can see right there the dates cut off, but established in 1952. The next one is a picture of the doorway and you can see a a picture of Mother Teresa there. But this third one, I couldn't believe this. One of those things where I'm like, this is just a God thing. You know what it says up there on that sign? (laughs) I thirst. Just think about the passage we are reading. It's just not accidents like this that happen. God crosses boundaries to reach and save the lost. He crosses any barrier. There's a really um, great passage that Paul gives us in Timothy. He's writing to this young leader, and he himself has been saved. Jesus crossed numerous barriers to reach him, and they're far different than the Samaritan woman, far different than those on their deathbed here. He writes about it, and I think it's so powerful, Um, He says this, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst, but for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And just a few verses later, Paul concludes that God, quote, wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Jesus crossed barriers to reach Paul. He crossed barriers to seek out the Samaritan woman. And I just want to ask you this morning what barriers has Jesus crossed to reach you? What barriers has Jesus crossed to reach you? What barriers is Jesus still crossing to reach you? I think sometimes we have a tendency to keep hiding behind these barriers, to run, to build up walls. Is that you this morning? Jesus comes to meet you. In the heat of the day, in complete isolation, he wants to meet you. Let's keep reading. We'll start in verse 10 and go through 26. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you are now the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I see I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors they worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. As their conversation carries on, Jesus totally shifts gears but I need us to see that the Samaritan woman, she's not following literally until this last statement. She just does not get it. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks, but she's focused on the fact that he doesn't have a bucket with which to get water. (laughs) And then he offers her the gift, living water, welling up to eternal life, but she's focused on the well water (laughs) And she simply desires to stop coming to this stinking well day after day in the middle of the heat (laughs) to draw all alone. And then Jesus miraculously unveils her brokenness, ongoing devastation and shame that she's experienced through multiple marriages. You know, I just want to comment on that for a moment. You know, we don't get the details, but this woman has often been characterized as completely immoral. We We can't help it but to just look down on her. However, in biblical law, a husband had the right to divorce his wife, but a wife could never initiate a divorce. Did you know that? It's entirely possible that this woman has simply been divorced five times over, and she has to cling to this new man just to survive. Her options in this culture are extremely limited. And yet in her pain, she fires back at Jesus, citing some of the religious disagreement between Jews and Samaritans. She still just doesn't get it. Jesus then tries to explain to her the coming work of the cross, for that's exactly what he means by saying a time that is coming. He's looking toward the cross. And through his sacrifice and resurrection, God's life-giving spirit will be poured out on people. It's God's spirit that brings life. And the allusions to the spirit all throughout the scriptures, they're always life-giving things. They're breath, water, refining fire. God's spirit empowers people to worship God in any place Because he's no longer longer limited to a holy temple, to a holy place. But now God resides in any believer who calls upon his name, Jesus. You don't go to church where God is. You bring God with you to church. Where two or three are gathered, there he is in your midst. So this body of people gathered together is incredible. And she still pushes back. One day, this Messiah, this this one that's been promised, he'll, he'll come, he'll explain it all. And for the first time ever in his ministry, Jesus actually reveals who he is. If you go back and read, this is the first person that hears. He is the Messiah. He's the promised one. He's the one that's come to offer new life. This next line you can write down, I think it's also helpful. Jesus fulfills our greatest need and we have to see that. He reveals himself to this woman, this outcast, this sinner, a despised enemy of Jews. He crosses considerable barriers and in the upside down, paradoxical, loving nature of God, he goes to the least of all people and he does this for you and me too. It is only Jesus who can offer this woman what she truly needs. And it's only Jesus who can offer you what you truly need. The prophet Jeremiah actually looks towards this picture and prophesies something that is so in line with this story. He says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You see, what, the, the, what he's trying to say is he's trying to give us this picture of something that goes all the way back to the garden, where Adam and Eve reject God. They decide to eat the fruit, which will make them be like God, so they can decide what is good and evil themselves. They want to be like God, and so do we. That is the sin. That is where every sin comes from. That's where it all begins. It's where it all starts. It's where we still wrestle today. I will be God. I will decide what's right and wrong. I will do this myself. I will reject the living water, and I will dig my own water source. That's what Jeremiah is saying to us. Perhaps you're sitting here, and you're like, I have never accepted this water source. I've never accepted this living water. Jesus is offering that to you today, and I want to pray with you. We're going to pray at the end. I'm going to pray and ask that you would accept the living water. Or maybe you've been sitting in church for years, because I certainly did. I sat in a church. I was part of a youth group. I would have claimed to be a Christian for over a decade. But I'm telling you, I had not tasted this living water. I chased thrill and pleasure through drugs and alcohol and relationships and accomplishments, and none of it satisfied and I did how many like millionaires and rock stars and movie stars and whoever that makes obscene amount of money and experiences every pleasure and still just is left wanting, how many do we have to see to be convinced? And here is Jesus. Crossing barriers to meet you where you're at, giving you what you need. And He's patient with you, just waiting. Maybe you're here this morning and you really resonate with this woman. You're isolated, you feel lost, broken, alone. And nothing, none of the earthly stuff has been able to satisfy you. Jesus is offering you living water that wells up inside, leading to eternal life. Do not miss it. All right, let's read this last section. Just then his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? No one asked that. Why does John write that? It cracks me up. John's there. I think he's asking that in his head. (laughs) But then look at what the woman, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, it's true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. They are completely clueless. I mean, you might be too. I, I, I'm like reading them, I'm like, what is it? Many of the Samaritans from that town, they believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans... Came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stays two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. In this section, uh, John shows us a magnificent comparison and contrast. And again, I think it's like it's just really easy to gloss over in our reading. What is going on with the disciples, their questions about food, and Jesus' response about a harvest? Well, first, the Samaritan woman's response is incredible. With his declaration to her that he is the promised one of God, come to rescue all people, she leaves the water behind. And she courageously goes back to the people that have completely outcast her, that she is living in fear of, that she's so afraid of. And she goes and she tells them. That, that's remarkable. And then what is Jesus saying to the disciples? He is telling them that, look, the time has come. God has arrived to save humanity through me. And to use a metaphor that he thought surely they'd understand, he proclaims, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. <clears throat> we have got to open our eyes and look at the fields all around us. There are people all around us in need of a savior, in need of renewal and hope. They are all around you. And eternal life is theirs. Give it to them. We have much to learn from her response. (laughs) The last thing or last note that I had made in this that um, you can write down is we get to join Jesus in crossing barriers and offering people what they really need. We get to join Jesus in this work and offer hope to people. And we're afraid of being made fun of of being put down or cast out, Jesus tells you, he promises you that will happen. But don't withhold the living water from people that need it. As Stephen mentioned earlier, we are launching Alpha in the fall and it is an incredible ministry. It um, is a way for you, a resource for you to invite someone to come and see Share with them your story, the hope that you have in you. Peter, in his letter, reminds us we should always be ready to share the hope that we have in us. And I thought about that a lot this week. I didn't, I didn't put it in here. I'm, it's not in my notes. I'm thinking of it right now. I actually had to go to myself. Sometimes I don't feel like I know what I would say. I'm not ready. Man, we need to be ready I need to be ready to share with whomever the hope that Jesus has put in my life. So maybe that needs, you need, you need to go home and write down your story and, and what God's done in your life and how he's met you, the barriers that he's crossed to reach you. What sin barriers did he cross? For me, it was pride and and selfish pleasure and desire and rebellion. He crossed these barriers of sin I thought there's no way how could God use me I was a partying frat boy that had zero desire I tried every drug that was put in front of me How is God going to use me God Jesus like I'm crossing those barriers I will use you And now do we see people in that same way We should always be ready in and out of season it says to share the hope that's within us and one, so, so Alpha in the fall, th- this is the time our, our church is ready to reap a harvest of people in the city of Hillsborough and beyond that need to come and hear of the hope that Jesus has for them to taste the living water. But one last thing just to encourage you too in this, I, I love uh, the scriptures in this sense. They give us the follow-up of what happens in Samaria, well, one, it tells us Jesus sticks around for a few days, right? And they, the Samaritans ask him, like, hey, will you stay for a couple more days? And then uh, they get to encounter Jesus themselves. And John uses this rare phrase. He's the only one that uses this phrase in all of the New Testament. He only uses it one other time. Savior of the world. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And in Acts, we see how Samaria is key to that mission of being Savior of the world. The early church movement, when Jesus, um, he dies in Jerusalem, he's in the grave, he rises again, he's with the disciples for 40 days, he's instructing them, he ascends and he gives them a mission. He says, stay here until the Holy Spirit comes and then this is the mission, go and make disciples, but go to Jerusalem first, that's in Judea, Right? And then in all Judea, so starts to spread, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And just really quick, early church history lesson, this is from Acts 7. Stephen is stoned to death, so the church is being persecuted. Paul is actually watching on as this happens. And... After this persecution, the church continues to explode and expand. And where does it go? It goes to Samaria. And Philip, who in the book of John, as an early disciple, is invited to come and see. He uses that language. He's transformed. He's remembering these stories. He's remembering Samaria. Philip goes to Samaria to proclaim Jesus. And he met people that were ready for it, that were ready. They had heard. They're ready to receive the Holy Spirit. They're ready for this living water to take action. Samaria was a pivotal spot for the gospel to reach the ends of the earth. A pivotal spot for Jesus and his mission. Jesus is the savior of the world. So just... This is long. Thank you for bearing me. This is me. You could teach a mini-series on this passage. It is beautiful and deep. And I think there's a lot for us this morning. But as we close, I'll invite Anya to come back up and Casey to get ready. Let me sum up for you the three points. One, Jesus demonstrates God's desire to cross any barrier to save us. And two... Jesus fulfills our greatest need. And three, we get to join Jesus in crossing barriers to offer people what they really need. And so we're gonna transition to a time of worship through song. We're gonna center our gathering around the bread and the cup. But here's what I wanna do. Before we do that, I I really just wanna pray over us. And so I just want to invite you to, to close your eyes, to bow with me and pray with me. And this is going to be a long prayer. I, I want to leave room for the Spirit to work and, and for people to respond. So just bear with me and let me pray over you this morning. God, we just come before you and we ask you what is it this morning that you have for us what is it god this morning that you have for me god maybe this morning there's someone in here that's recognizing for the first time that jesus has crossed many barriers to reach them and lord i pray that they would recognize that they simply need to accept the gift that you give the gift of life that fulfills the greatest need that we have god your scripture says that if you declare with your mouth jesus is lord and you believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved as we continue praying heads bowed eyes closed if this is you this morning if you have not said yes, if your greatest need has not been met, I am asking you to be bold. I'm asking you to do what his word says and in your own words right now, with your own voice, I am asking you to declare out loud, Jesus, you are Lord. Do it now. Speak it now, right now, out loud. Say as you sit there out loud, Jesus, you are Lord. And if this is you this morning, I cannot see your heart. But it says you must believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. And I'm going to ask you to do something bold and crazy. I'm going to ask you, if that is you, please stand up and make a declaration that God has raised Jesus from the dead for you. If this is you this morning, take the living water. You have declared with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now stand and say yes to him. Don't wait. Maybe this morning as you're praying. God is stirring in you a response to join him in crossing barriers that you have typically refused to approach to reach people who are in need. I pray that Jesus would give you compassion to see others with his eyes. Lord, I pray that you would help them not just to be a hearer of the word, but a doer. Maybe God's even brought to mind a family member, a friend, a coworker that needs you. God, give them courage and boldness. God, give us the power of your Holy Spirit to share our stories and invite others to come and see that they might one day proclaim, now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Holy Spirit, would you come even now and do your work in us this morning? Amen.